Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest edition of the podcast, airing it out, files from Leahy's broadcast booth. John Leahy with you. Thanks again for tuning in with us. I want to thank my guest from last week, Paul Stewart, former NHL referee and player. We had some great stories with Paul, and I hope you enjoyed tuning in. If you want to check out all the episodes we've done, on the podcast, you can check it out at LeahyStorytelling.com. That's L-E-A-H-Y Storytelling.com. We have all the episodes we've ever done there. We have a rating system. You can rate episodes from zero to five stars. You can also leave your written comments. There's also a way to leave a voice message. There's a purple microphone at the lower right-hand corner of each page. There is a blog as well and some cool videos. So I... Uh, Encourage you to check that out. Once again, it's at LeahyStorytelling.com. Well, this week we have a great guest on. Uh, he is the radio analyst for Boston College Men's Hockey. His name is Andy Powers. Uh, we have uh, Andy on because uh, for a number of reasons, actually. Uh, BC and Merrimack are going to be playing over the next two to four days, and we have a lot to catch up on. And Andy is uh, one of the great guys in hockey. So, Andy, thanks so much for being here. It's always a pleasure talking with you. Well, John, you know that I like to talk, so I appreciate you inviting me on, and I certainly appreciate the, uh, the for Boston fight song at the beginning. That was really nice. <laughs> well, we endeavor to make all our guests feel right at home here, Andy. We want you to we want to roll out the red carpet for uh, our guests. So uh, I'm glad that that was pleasurable for you. Uh, I'd like to just talk a little bit about your background before we get into some Boston College hockey talk. And Andy, I know you grew up in Arlington, Mass, and you're. You gravitated toward hockey at an early age, uh, from what I'm seeing here. Uh, you scored six goals as an eight-year-old in a 12-year-old league. That's pretty impressive. Can you tell us that story? Well, it's always impressive when you peak as an eight-year-old, which I did. Uh, <laughs> but, no, we, I played uh, growing up playing Arlington Youth Hockey, and Arlington was a, it's still really well-known for its hockey. They, they have a great youth hockey program. Um and I was very fortunate to play with a bunch of different coaches that uh, back in my day, I sound like an old man now, but you know, now the youth hockey landscape is such a mess with different selects team and kids jumping team to team in Arlington. There was set coaches at every age level. So you knew who you were going to play for every different year. And um, I think that those coaches were, you know, they, they, they were fathers, but they usually their kids weren't on the team and they knew the landscape. They knew what, you know, what different ages you should be doing, you know, breakouts and power plays and all that stuff so it was a great uh structured youth hockey program and i was very fortunate to play with some really good players in arlington they always turned out a bunch and um yeah youth hockey i was i was a real good skater so i could outskate you i i mean <laughs> the, the thing that ruined my game was they put boards around the rink if we were playing <laughs> pond hockey, i'd be gone <laughs> <laughs> so th that six goal effort that came in the span of uh, of one game uh, i'm guessing oh yeah Six yeah. goals in one game against Watertown. Wow. Um, oh, yeah. Big deal. It was in the Arlington Advocate on Thursday. It comes out once a week. It was, it was a big deal. Wow. Now, Andy, you also did that three times in your career, right? So you were like the Daryl yeah. Sittler of youth hockey, right? Yeah. Yeah. Six was the limit. I, I got six a couple times, but uh, it's I, I didn't know at the time, but I was exhausting my goal-scoring ability, and that would come back to bite me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it seems like I wasted a lot of goals in youth hockey. <laughs> well, you attended Arlington High School, as you mentioned. Uh, you were on the Boston Herald Dream Team. Tell us a little bit about the coaches that uh, you played for and, and how that experience was. So that uh, Ed Burns is, was a long time. He's since passed, but he was a long time. I think he coached 51 years at Arlington High, and he was a legend. I mean, everybody knew Ed Burns. 
Um, he was a great guy. He was a great communicator. Um, I uh, was a captain my senior year, worked closely with him. My father had actually ta uh, coached with Mr. Burns uh, before I got to the high school. When I got to the high school age, my father went and coached BBNN. And then um, I actually went to BBNN for two years before I was rudely asked to leave. But uh, playing junior and senior year at Arlington High was something that uh, it was one of the best experiences I had because in Massachusetts, and you know, you know this more than most, uh, the high school landscape landscape has changed. But back in the '90s, you know, high school hockey was was where it was at. You know, you had the top Catholic schools, and then you had a handful of publics that could slug it out with them. And Arlington was one of those public schools that really we were in the Super Eight every year. Um, we ultimately would run into a buzzsaw like Catholic Memorial or something yeah. like that. But, yep. Um, it was great. It was, it, you know, I still, I live in Woburn now. I actually go to Arlington for almost everything, but, you know, being in that community and playing in front of your fans, there's still people that I, you know, went to school with and still people that watched Arlington High when I was playing there that I see around town. And it's just, it, it, it meant the world to me to be in that environment, you know, wearing an Arlington High jersey and, and playing in front of my home fans. And, we would get really good crowds too. I mean, there was a game where I don't know if you remember Sean Bates. Oh uh, yeah, he yeah. BU and then played for the Bruins a little bit. Yeah. But he was at uh, Medford High, and it was me versus him, and it was a huge game. And it, the crowd was so big that they had to stop the game, and the fire marshal came in and started kicking people out because they had too many people in the rink. Wow. And it was it was like those those, those environments, those crowds, and, and that kind of that schoolboy mentality like it was just it was a it was a great thing to be a part of and public high school was really good hockey at the time and it was it was fun to play in front of those crowds yeah i'm from stoughton and uh, i grew up watching canton and franklin battle it out in high school hockey so i know how intense those matchups are uh, but i wanted to talk about your senior year there andy uh, an undefeated season you were the league mvp public school player of the year how special was that senior year for you it was it was great, and um, I actually had a great group of friends that were on that team, and, and we were we were really talented. We had good goaltending, and um, we had a we had a tough schedule, but we went 20 and 0, uh, undefeated regular season. Um, we played in the old Greater Boston League, which had really good teams. Everett was very good. Medford, of course, was good. Uh, Somerville was even good. Uh, so it was a it was a real challenge. But like I said, it was it was great playing for Coach Burns. Um, we had an assistant coach who was Scotty Jones, who was a, a, a star at Arlington High, went on to Salem State in the 80s. Uh, but we had a great coaching staff. We had a really good team. Um, you know, for me, selfishly, it was a great spot because I, I rarely came off the ice. I mean, I played forward and defense, so Mr. Burns would just really let me do whatever I was ready for. <laughs> and uh, I tried to stay out of the penalty box and tried to get points, but it was um, we had a good team that year. And I think that uh, looking back that senior year playing public school hockey in front of the crowds uh, with my friends and having the success that we did uh, was great. And ultimately we fell uh, to St. John's Shrewsbury and the game was at Boston college uh, in the super eight. It was double elimination. We lost Arlington Catholic and then lost to St. John's Shrewsbury. So it was, uh, it wasn't the ending that we wanted, but it was, it was a special time and, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, you know, you bring up Ed Burns, and we had Joe Britannia on the podcast yeah. a while back, and I'm sure uh, Joe and and you have some stories to swap because, of course, he uh, played his hockey there in the high school level. Yes, absolutely. He's part of the Arlington High Mafia. Um, there's <laughs> a lot of guys. Uh, there was some guys that worked. Uh, Mr. Just Tom Peters, 
uh, played at Arlington, works at BC. He just retired, but he had played hockey at UMass after uh, in the 70s and uh, Mr. Britannia as well. So Arlington hockey goes deep. Um, they did also, one of the claims of fame is we had three kids from Arlington High play at BC in the 90s and early 2000s. There's me, then Ned Haven, and then Pat Gannon. Um, and uh, unfortunately, Pat was the least talented but he won the national championship, so he has that over us. Right, right. Well, I want to talk about your time at BC because you went there on a full scholarship and uh, so many great memories and stories, I'm sure, Andy, of your time there. But uh, if you could relay a memory or a story that sticks out to you, uh, we'd really appreciate it. I know that uh, being around Jerry York was special as well. Yeah, absolutely, and it was unique for us. Uh, we were Jerry York's first recruiting class. Um, Jerry York was hired late uh, in August of 94, um, and he coached uh, the 94-95 season, but then I was a freshman in 95-96, so we were uh, his first recruiting class, and I think being part of that and being part of the turnaround at the base level, I think Coach York has done an unbelievable job, right? If I don't think a lot of people remember where BC Hockey was back then in the mid-90s. Okay. Um, they, were, they were clearly the bottom of the league. Uh, in 94-95, uh, Coach York's first season, UMass uh, Amherst was just added to Hockey East. Okay. And that gave that gave Hockey East nine teams. So it was decided before the season that there would be a play-in game between whoever finished eighth and ninth for the eighth playoff seed. Okay. And I was actually on my recruiting visit, and I saw – the 8-9 playoff game. BC had finished 8th. UMass had finished ninth, And in that playoff game, UMass beat BC 5-1. to one. Wow. Hmm. So that was Jerry York's first year. It was finishing at the bottom of Hockey East and then losing the play-in game to a playoff spot. So wow. um, to be, you know, kind of part of that rebuild, um, I don't think anybody shared Coach York's vision of where it could go and how quick it could get there. But certainly... You know, recruiting was a big part of it. Uh, talented kids. Marty Reisner was in my class. He's, uh, it was uh, one of the most uh, entertaining college players I saw. And then after that, you know, Blake Belfay, Jeff Farkas, Brian Junta. Um, so I think the, the one memory that stands out to me is after our freshman year, we finished fifth in Hockey East. Okay. And Coach York, and, and to be honest with you, John, like I, we didn't – I didn't even think about the NCAA tournament. I had no idea that they did an NCAA tournament for hockey. It was so foreign to Boston College. Like, nobody was there. The last time they went there was maybe 1990. Mm -hmm. um, so we didn't really think of it. And after the season, Coach York said, you know, we're going to – he goes, I mean, Andy, we're going to establish a beachhead at the NCAA. <laughs> uh, and I thought two things. First of all, th there's an NCAA tournament for hockey? That's crazy. And then second, what is a beachhead? I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> um, but basically what he was saying is that, you know, BC is going to be a national player and we're going to be involved in this. Um, and then, you know, the next year, my junior year, we made an unbelievable run, went all the way to the national title game in Boston against Michigan. We lost in overtime, which was heartbreaking. But it was, you know, it was, it was amazing for me to, to go to a team um, that was really in a bad shape. And then two years later, we're in the national championship game. Um, and I just thought that was, you know, I, I, coach's vision at the time and how he saw it getting back there was remarkable. You know, you talk about that first year, 
and BC finishing in eighth. It sounds as though you guys bought into Coach York's philosophy right away, and it seems like the confidence level really skyrocketed uh, pretty quickly. I think that's a huge part of it. I think the biggest part for me in, in spending all, all that time with Coach York and most recently doing 10 years on the BC radio and you know being around him again, um, his self-awareness and his self-confidence is very contagious. Okay. Right? When he took the Boston College job, he saw the same vision that he had at Bowling Green where he won a national championship, which to me is still the biggest uh, un, you know, success that he's had in his coaching career to win a national championship uh, in a, an Ohio school that played in the CCHA at the time. And all the great players that he had there, uh, Nelson Emerson, Rob Blake, like they had an unbelievable team. So Coach York winning a, a, a national championship even before he got to Boston College, I think uh, allowed him to understand what he needed to do in short order to turn this program around, and he, and he executed it flawlessly. Yeah, he sure did. Well, from BC, you moved on to your professional career, and Andy, you played for a variety of teams. Uh, one of them <laughs> that I'm looking at here are the Columbus Cottonmouths of the yeah. CHL. So uh, let's let's start there. How was that experience? It was an unbelievable experience. Uh, so uh, two things. First of all, Columbus, Georgia. Uh, and, and that's where I actually met my wife, and I, we've been married 20 years now, so i got to be careful here what I say. <laughs> but Columbus, Georgia is a beautiful place to spend the winter, right? It's always – it's a, the lowest it gets there is like 65. Yeah. Uh, you can golf every day. Uh, it's really, really a nice time. They uh, – that market, Columbus, Georgia, is, is an hour and a half southwest of Atlanta. Okay, yep. And they were fanatics about hockey. Um, they, we would routinely get 5,000 a game. Um, you were a celebrity in the community. Uh, there was a lot of stuff that we did in and around the community. Um, so you were really treated, you know, like a professional. Okay. And, um, it was, it was a great time. We actually went to the central hockey league championship game and lost in game seven to Indianapolis, uh, there, but it was a great bunch of guys, predominantly major junior guys, older guys, um, that, you know, really, I got along well with. Uh, Canadians for the most part, and um, it was it was it was great. I mean, the travel was ridiculous. You know, fourteen hour bus rides. Yeah. Um, yep. And but you know, you just you don't you don't think of that when you're that age. You just step on the bus, go to sleep, wake up, eat something, get off the bus, play a hockey game, get back on the bus. Right. Right. Um, but it was <clears throat> it was a great experience for me. Uh, except when you lost or you weren't playing well, then they called us the rotten mouths instead of the cotton mouths. <laughs> uh, but know, it was you, a great Yeah, you wouldn't think of Columbus, Georgia as being, you know, a hockey hotbed, but uh, hockey seems to be really catching on down there. And I know you spent some time also with the South Carolina Stingrays, so you spent a lot of time down in the southeast, didn't you? John, a lot of people don't think I'm that smart, and that's fair. But what I realized early on in minor league hockey, my first my first team was the Dayton Bombers in Dayton, Ohio. Right. And we made a trip through the South, and we played the Augusta Lynx in Augusta, Georgia. Wow. And it was January, and their kids showed up wearing flip flops and shorts to the rink. And I thought, what what is going on here? And then then I had the chance uh, to play for a team in the South with Columbus. I said, this is the life. I mean, who wants to slug it out in Wheeling, West Virginia, or Dayton, or Toledo in the winter? You just live down here. You can play golf after practice, nice and easy. Um, so it was very good, and, and I realized that quickly. And Charleston was a beautiful place. We, my wife and I, we would try, we almost bought a house down there and lived down there full time. Mm -hmm. uh, we loved it that much. But 
Um, it was a great place to play hockey. South Carolina has a really good history in the East Coast League. I think they won three uh, East Coast League titles in the last 20 years. So, um, And then my teammate, <clears throat> my defensive partner in South Carolina was Jared Bednar, who just uh, coached the uh, Colorado Avalanche to the Stanley Cup. Oh, wow. You know, it reminds me of when Merrimack went down to play in the tournament down in uh, Estero, Florida. Yes. You know, and yes. uh, we were, they, they went to the beach in between games, you know, so. Uh, that, you can get used to that. Oh, absolutely. And, of, of course, Arizona State is a place we all want to visit in February, right? So, uh, no, a absolutely. That part of the country is really catching on in terms of hockey. And, and you know, it, it, it had to have been cool for you to uh, be in that area and doing what you love. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I, and I will say this: the uh, especially in Columbus, they were, you know, they <clears throat> they weren't. Uh, I won't I won't use the term bloodthirsty, but certainly fighting was a big part of the game and big part of the entertainment value. Um, they did appreciate the hockey, but they there was you know they if they they had their their fan favorites in both Charleston and, and uh, Columbus, uh, guys that they really appreciated their work ethic and um, they got behind the team. And I think there was a lot of northern transplants in Charleston specifically. But certainly hockey was an up-and-coming sport, and I think that you know, the NHL today, you see the reflection of the minor league hockey being in the Deep South is more well-adopted, and you know, they get the national broadcast now. So I think that uh, the NHL is benefiting from those minor league teams that really built the hockey roots in the South. Well, you retired in 03-04 from playing, Andy. Uh, where did your career take you at that particular point? I was in Charleston uh, playing for the South Carolina Stingrays. Um, we had, uh, my wife and I had just been married, um, and my father passed away and I'm the oldest of five kids. So I wanted okay. to kind of get involved in coaching. My father was a, a Boston public school teacher and he had been coaching and I thought that was something that I wanted to do. Um, but my mother quickly told me that, you know, you don't want to be a teacher because your father could never go see you play. We never had any money. So do something else. Right. And um, so that was fair. But I, as the oldest of five, my brother was the youngest. He was a sophomore in high school. My sister was a junior in Arlington High. Um, so we just decided that it would be best if I moved back to this area. Uh, and, uh, yep. My wife and I moved back to this area. We started a family and we've been here ever since. And we're super excited and happy with the, we live in Woburn. It's a great community. And um, obviously all of my siblings are still around us. I have a tremendous support system, but it was, it was important that, you know, family meant a lot to me. So when my father passed, it was just, it, we just came home. Did you remain in hockey, Andy, after that retirement in 03, 04, and then coming back here? So, um, after that retirement and you say retirement, I mean, that's the, the greats retire a guy like me. Like I just stopped playing. That was no big deal. Um, there was a few opportunities coaching and otherwise. And then I had some opportunities that, that maybe, you know, to play the next season, a, a few teams had reached out, but <clears throat> I mentioned my wife, you know, from Columbus, Georgia, she was used to me traveling around. And I don't want to say we had a, an unspoken agreement. Cause I think she's pretty clear about it that, you know, when we, when she, when I stopped playing, you know, she wanted something more stable and something where I was in the house and, you know, at the time we moved home, she was pregnant with our first ch a child. We have three now. So it really, uh, as much as I would have liked to get involved in some of the coaching opportunities I had, it, uh, I did, you know, kind of understand where she was coming from, where the, the minor hockey league travel schedule was ridiculous. We'd be gone for, you know, weeks at a time. So oh yeah, uh, that wasn't fair for her. And um, I stayed home and I did get involved with the Boston Junior Bruins. Um, there's two brothers, Peter Masters and Chris Masters, who've run that program and have really built it into the top junior team. 
in the area, and I got involved with them as soon as I stopped playing. So that kept me in the ranks, which I really enjoy. But it was it was also local. You know, I was just out to Marlboro and back. I wasn't gone for weeks on end. Well, before we talk about Jerry York and the the transition to Greg Brown, I have to share my favorite Boston College hockey memory with you, and that was back in 2010 when Merrimack and Boston College met for the Hockey East Championship at the TD Garden. And uh, that was that was a very special year. Uh, there were people who were saying that Merrimack uh, was good enough to win the whole thing that year, Jack Parker being one of them. But uh, that BC Merrimack game sticks out in my memory, and I've been doing this 18 years now, Andy, and I can't remember a bigger game uh, than that Merrimack BC game. And I'm sure you have memories of it as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I I remember that game specifically because Merrimack was having a heck of a season. They had some talented players. And they had really good goaltending, and that's the recipe you need for postseason success. Um, but I, you know, BC was very fortunate to win that night. Um, I think that's you know, you're going back to Coach York. You know, we we really felt as much as you know, BU really owned the bean pot in the late '90s. Yep. BC really, we felt like once we got to the Hockey East Championship tournament, that was ours, and and you had to be really good to beat BC in the Hockey East Championship, and. I think that was that was a mentality that Coach York had. You know, that was he calls it trophy season. You go trophy hunting, and so we went hunting for hockey East trophies every year. And uh, that year, that 2010 team was very good for Boston College. But it yeah. was a really good game, and Merrimack had a ter- tremendous run. <laughs> yeah. Yep, and I remember that game was tied 3-3 in the third period, and, and Mike Macknick and I were up in the booth saying, you know, that this game could go either way. But uh, yeah. you know, Boston College was victorious, and they, they went on into the tournament, and Merrimack did as well, and, and they, Merrimack went on to play Notre Dame in uh, Manchester, New Hampshire. That's, to this day, the only NCAA hockey game I've ever broadcast, so uh, that will always be a fun memory. But uh, I, was, I was glad to be a part of that with, with uh, Boston College. But uh, Jerry, of course, retired, and uh, at the end of last season, and there was a search for a new head coach. Greg Brown was selected to take over for Coach York, and it seemed like a logical choice, right? Because Greg was on Jerry's staff. So tell us a little bit about how that transition has gone. I think it's gone great, and I say that, you know, we're six games into the season. Um, I know Greg Brown personally. I've been around this program for a while. He, As you mentioned, he was a longtime associate head coach with Jerry York. Uh, before leaving to to coach the New York Rangers in the NHL. And then last season, he spent as the head coach for the USHL Dubuque Fighting Saints. Um, Greg is a tremendous, tremendous hockey mind. And um, I think similar to Coach York, he has the same temperament. You know, one of the things that um, I was, obviously, you know, I was exposed to it as a player because I was kind of a different cat, and uh, I was always in. The, it seems like I was always in trouble with Coach York, whether it be for yelling or talking or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. But but Coach Coach wasn't a vocal guy, right? He didn't get on the refs like maybe a Jack Parker or a Dick Humilly would have. Um, and and Greg Brown is is in the same, you know, follows that same script. I don't think he's a he's a tremendously loud, you know, yeller and screamer. But when he talks, he knows what he's talking about, and people listen. And I think that's one of the things that uh, has really been uh, apparent early in this season is his ability to communicate to these these kids, these young men, uh, and, and really get them bought in on, on, on the script. And I know a lot of the alumni were really, really happy that Greg Brown got the job. I think he's a tremendous fit. Uh, he's been around the program for a while, like I said. But 
I think his experience at the NHL level, his experience in the USHL um, is a good kind of runway for him to take over Boston College right where Jerry York left off and really keep the program going in the right direction. Well, I'd like to take a look at this BC team in just a little bit here, Andy, but uh, they are 2-2-1 two, two, and one to start the season. I'm wondering about your thoughts on the team's play so far. Both of the wins have come against the University of New Hampshire, but uh, what have you seen from the Eagles so far that you've liked, and, and what are some things that uh, you may feel need to be improved? Well, the thing that I like the most, and I think that the, the thing that's been apparent in every game is their ability to play 60 minutes hard and compete. Um, and I think coming into this season, um, the last couple of years at Boston College, they've, especially last year, they had a team that was really driven by the seniors and um, with the, the McLaughlin and McBain and Hellison leaving for the Olympics. There was, you know, this, uh, this uh, up and down of compete level and some nights they had it, some nights they didn't. <laughs> and this year with Greg Brown, even the first game of Quinnipiac, I, I was really surprised with how hard they competed, even though they lost, I think the score was it four nothing. Yes. Yes. And Quinnipiac really was a bigger, stronger, faster team. But BC, you know, they didn't let their foot off the gas. They keep competing. Um, and that, that's been in every game. Even the last time out, they lost 5-1 to UConn. It really wasn't a 5-1 game, but the game got away from them at the end. But they competed for 60 minutes, and that's all you can ask for. I think the things that, you know, that they need and that they struggled with is scoring goals. I think yeah. that uh, – you know, they lost a lot of offensive production from McLaughlin and McBain leaving. Even Patrick Giles, who was a senior last year, had some goals. <clears throat> they just haven't had some kids step up and fill those voids uh, with the goal scoring because I think goals might be hard to come from, come by for this group. But I think an early plus sign for me, too, has been the creativeness on the power play. I think that's, that's something that comes from Greg Brown. I think he's a – I don't, I don't want to say a power play specialist because he's, you know, really well-rounded, but that's his specialty – and you can see it with the creativity on the power play. <clears throat> they haven't been rewarded as much as they probably should have, uh, but they have skilled kids really moving a lot. They've been good on the uh, breakouts or the break-ins for the power play and tremendous on puck retrieval, winning battles to get the puck back on the power play. So I think special teams will be something that they need to be clicking every night to have success. But I think offensively, um, they're, they're going to need to find uh, at least – one player, hopefully two, that really starts to catch lightning in a bottle and start scoring goals, whether it's Ambrosio, Nestorenko, or Trevor Kuntar, those guys really need to produce offensively. We talk a lot, a lot about identity, Andy. Do you think this identity of this BC team has been established, or is it continuing to be a work in progress under Coach Brown? I think if, I would say that it's early, so it's probably a work in progress, but if I would have to say – uh, what their identity has been so far in the first couple games, it's their ability to compete. And I think it starts with, you know, coaches Brown, uh, coach Brown's ability to communicate, you know, we got to work and everybody's bought in. But I think I'll also point out that their graduate transfers this year have really been uh, great leaders. And that's always tough. And I know you've seen it too <laughs> at Merrimack. I don't think, I don't know what I think about the transfer portal. I don't think I like it. Okay. Uh, but, I do understand and I can't appreciate if somebody's not playing somewhere, you know, you, you don't want them to be punished if there's a better opportunity out there for them. But how BC has used that portal the last couple of years is to go out and get goaltending. 
And last year they had Eric Dopp, a transfer from Bowling Green. And he was, he was a nice goalie. Um, I think what BC was used to was, you know, the Spencer Knights, the Joe Walls, <laughs> the Thatcher Demkos of the world. And he certainly wasn't that, but he was a kid that came in and worked. And um, unfortunately, you know, he, he, BC wasn't really good in front of him. So <laughs> it wasn't great. But this year they have Mitch Benson who's a transfer from Colgate right. or a grad, grad assistant or grad transfer from Colgate. So what Mitch Benson has done is really stabilize the goal. Okay. He's brought that experience of playing four years at Colgate in the ECAC. Um, he makes the saves that he should make. Um, he's by no means, you know, an all American, but he's yeah. very, very solid in that. And I think when you have a goaltender that gives you a chance every night, that's all you can ask for. And then the other two transfers, Christian O'Neill, a transfer, a grad transfer from Princeton, and uh, Cam Burke, a grad transfer from Notre Dame. Those two guys have brought an energy to this team that has really been well received. I think when you see those two guys, those grad transfers going out there and, you know, screaming all over the ice and, and finishing checks and doing the little things, that's something that trickles down the lineup and the younger kids buy in. Yeah, Merrimack is the same way. The the transfer uh, portal people that Merrimack brought in are really, really making a big difference for this team. So that's that's exciting. We're talking with Andy Powers. He is the radio analyst on Boston College Hockey Men's Broadcast. He does the games along with John Risch. Um, and don't forget to check us out at LeahyStorytelling.com. Again, that's the podcasting website. You touched on the goaltending, Andy, and, and where... You think BC needs to improve offensively? I think one important piece on this Eagles team is Colby Ambrosio. He leads the team in scoring, and he certainly seems to have stepped up so far with putting pucks in the net. Yeah, Colby Ambrosio has really benefited from uh, Cutter Gauthier, <laughs> the freshman center who's been outstanding. Um, and Colby's a kid that uh, he's a tremendous skater, and he can fly. And when he's playing with confidence, uh, he, he scores a ton of goals, and uh, Gauthier in the middle, and then Nastarenko's on the left wing for that group. They, uh, they've they really had good chemistry here early. <clears throat> All three of them are super skilled. They know where to go. They know where to put themselves without the puck, and Ambrosio's been the benefactor of a few really nice passes by his line mates to finish, and that's what he needs. That's what this team needs is a guy, Colby Ambrosio. If he can go into a game and you know, he's going to get two points a night, you know that'd be great for Boston College because I think, you know, like I said earlier, their inability to score, you know, that UConn game, they one one late, bad bounce, and then it got away from them. But I think Boston College has the team defense to do it, but it's going to be team offense, and Colby Ambrosio is a big part of that if they're going to have success. Well, that's a perfect segue. I was going to ask you if you could uh, share a thought or two about where you think the Eagles are defensively at this point and how good they can be. I've been super impressed with their freshman defensemen. Um, uh, Marcus Gustafson, and uh, Charlie Letty, freshman from the ND, uh, National Development Program, have stepped in, right. and they're fantastic. Uh, Gustafson's father, Gustafson it was uh, listed as an Atlanta, Georgia native, but his father, you might remember, scored the national uh, the game-winning uh, goal in the overtime in 1999 uh, for Maine, who defeated UNH in the national championship. Oh, all right, yep. Yep. Um, but he uh, he is a. They list him at five ten. He looks bigger and stronger, but he's been really good. Gustafson has not only defensively in his own zone, competing against the older kids, but offensively jumping in the play, getting involved late, um, especially when BC's got the cycle going and finding the D. 
And then Charlie Letty's been the, the physical presence that really BC has been lacking in the last couple of years. Um, and then another guy on the defensive side that's, you know, he's been a been a development project. Uh, and that's really unfair using the word project. But Kade Alami, who's six foot seven, um, he was a freshman last year. He's a sophomore this year. He didn't play a ton last year. Probably only got into about a dozen games. Yep. But his development, and I think again, Greg Brown, Brendan Buckley, the coaching staff, working with him specifically, using his long reach, using he's a good skater, using his edges. He's really come on this year. So. He's been a, a lot better. Uh, the freshman D have been very good, and then, like I mentioned, Mitch Benson has made all the saves that he he he's supposed to make. And I think when the goalie does that, it gives you a lot of confidence in your team defense. Well, Andy, let's take a look at uh, these two upcoming games: Thursday night at Lawler Rink, and then Saturday afternoon back at Chestnut Hill. We're recording this on Tuesday, and we're going to publish on Wednesday. So, uh, Thursday up at Merrimack, BC and Merrimack will go at it, and then. As I said, Saturday back at Chestnut Hill. These two teams split a pair of games last year. The road team won uh, each game. Uh, let me get your thoughts first on Thursday night. The Lala Rink is certainly a challenge for teams to come up and play at, uh, and it's kind of kind of got a unique kind of shape to it. And uh, we'll see how Boston College responds to it. I think every time, and, and going back to a player, you know, every time that you you go there, you play at Merrimack at Lala Rink, um, because it's not a it's not a huge building it does feel like everything's on top of you, right? It right. feels like the fans are on top of you. feels like the Merrimack has like six or seven skaters on the ice at times, <clears throat> but it's a, it's a tough place to play. I think Merrimack coming off a, you know, a huge win at, uh, over UMass uh, at Lawler last weekend gives them a ton of confidence. I think BC, you know, one thing that coach York always stressed and I'm sure coach Brown will stress is, you know, when you go into Merrimack, they, they're going to play their certain style, which is, you know, yeah. Not agitated, but they're going to be physical, right? And so if you're going to get sucked into that and you're going to get sucked out of your game and, and play the way that they want to play, well, you're going to, you're going to struggle. <clears throat> and I think that's uh, something that Coach Borak has done as he has that Merrimack team playing a very physical style. Um, and, you know, they can capitalize and they can score. So when you have that combination and you play in a smaller rink, not, not dimensionally, but just a building-wise and, it's a tough adjustment, especially for new teams and new freshmen who haven't played in that building before to get used to. So I look for Merrimack to jump on BC early Thursday, see if they can be physical with them and slow them down. Is there a, a strategy that you think would be effective for BC in terms of keys to the game coming on the road uh, at Merrimack? I think BC, for, for them to have success, especially at Merrimack, is they have to dominate the cycle. Um, they have to, they can't get slowed down in the neutral zone, whether that's, you know, skating it in or dumping it behind the D, but then BC's forwards have to get their feet moving. They can't allow themselves to get pinned in the offensive zone and they have to establish a cycle early to get Merrimack running around in their defensive zone. And I think if you do that, you'll create scoring opportunities. And for Boston college, I don't think they're going to beat a lot of goalies clean. So I think a lot of their goal is going to be rebounds. So if you're getting pucks to the net, you got to put them on low, put them on their pads and make sure you're, you're battling in front to get rebounds. Yeah, I think for Merrimack, the the key is going to be getting off to a good start. The Warriors have given up the first goal, and I believe five or six of the seven games so far. So uh, Merrimack doesn't want to play from behind. But, you know, it, it should be a terrific, terrific series. And then, of course, the rematch on Saturday at uh, Chestnut Hill on uh, 1 o'clock on Saturday. So I know the Eagles always feel comfortable playing at home, don't they? They do, and it's this is more of a football start, a 1 o'clock start. And, um, BC has had a very unique schedule. They haven't played back-to-backs yet all season. 
and I know we're early in the season, but this is this is again they, uh, you know kind of a uh, an altered series Thursday night at Merrimack and then Sunday or Saturday afternoon at one o'clock. And I think that for college kids, when you don't play a lot of early afternoon games, it is an adjustment. You know, like for Merrimack, I'm sure they're not going to stay over. So I'm sure they're going to have to wake up early, eat a breakfast, get on a bus and come down to Chestnut Hill. And yeah. for Boston College, you know, you're used to eating breakfast and then a pregame and all the video. Well, you really don't have that time. So it'll be interesting to see how that game plays out, especially early on Saturday afternoon. See who's involved, see who hasn't gotten their legs yet. But um, I think Boston College, you know, if they're going to have success this season, and I know Coach Brown has talked about this, you have to win home. You have to win at home. Uh, you know, and I think, they, you know, they, they opened the season against Quinnipiac at home. Disappointing loss. The effort was there. But, you know, if, if you're going to build something, uh, you've got to take advantage of your home games and get a win those. Yeah, BC and Merrimack, both 2-1 and one in league play entering the game Thursday night. So it should be a lot of fun. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts, Andy, also on Hockey East so far and what you've seen. I've been very impressed with UConn. They picked up right where they left off. Northeastern's got Devin Levi, right? Providence is having a great start. What are your thoughts on the league so far? I like the way the league is going. I thought last year was a down year. Um, I thought Hockey East took a beating last year, you know, especially in the national press. A lot of people were dismissive of Hockey East. <clears throat> they only had two teams in the NCAA. Um, I like, I think this year there's more depth to it. Um, I think UMass Lowell will probably be a hard out. Uh, you, you mentioned, um, Providence, Providence has got some goal scorers. UConn to me. So Mike Cavanaugh was the assistant when I was at BC. Yeah. He was at BC for almost 20 years. What he's doing there, uh, is really been remarkable. Now this is his 10th year at, at UConn. And he's, you know, had to kind of build on the go. To be honest with you, I thought he would have more success in recruiting the, the Connecticut prep schools. Yep. Yeah. Um, but he hasn't. He's gone really to an international model where he has a lot of Europeans. Um, he has a he has an old, he has a 17 year old on his lineup this year, Matthew Wood, <laughs> and the kid's fantastic. Um, so it's it's been unique on the recruiting. But what Cav has done there is he's turned UConn into that, you know, uh, Maine or UNH of the 90s. Wow. You know, right? Yeah. Like the, yeah. The, 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 the school outside of the Beanpot schools, but a really good hockey schools that can battle. They have a tough schedule. Um, they're moving into a rank on campus. I think that'll give them another boost this season. <clears throat> but it's, it's, I think they, and, they, and again, like winning is contagious. Last year, UConn went to the Hockey Championship game. When you have guys in the locker room that have been that far, they, they, you find a way to win games. Like uh, last weekend, BC played U, uh, UConn on Thursday. UConn won that game because they knew how to win, right? Yeah. That wasn't a 5-1 game, but they got a late they got a late bounce where the kid came out of the box, got a power play, scored, made it 2-1, to one, and then they added an empty netter and then a late goal after that. But that's what winning teams do. Winning teams find ways to win, and I think that's what UConn's doing this year. I got to ask you about the bean pot. You alluded to it a moment ago. How fun is that to be a part of? You know, from a broadcasting standpoint, from a playing standpoint. And yeah. do, do you have a specific memory of the bean pot that sticks out for you? I mean, I we had terrible success in the bean pot, uh, but it's, even so, it was really special to play in. I remember uh, the first uh, my sophomore year, we went to the bean pot final. We beat Northeastern in the first first Monday. And we were going to the Beanpot final against Boston University. And, of course, when you're that age, 
uh, we, I was a freshman. Our team was terrible. We were, we were bad. But okay. you have that false confidence, like anything can happen, guys. Anything can happen. Let's go, let's go. Huh. And we came out, and I think BC, BU scored two goals in the first five minutes. I was like, nope, this isn't it. This isn't us. Um, and we ended up losing like seven to two in the first uh, first championship game. And then I went back. I think my junior year, we went back to the championship, lost to BU again. BU had won six six straight while I was at the four years I was at BC. But that I, I'm. I'm I, I'm a little upset that I didn't get to play the bean pot in the old Boston Garden because I used to go watch it there and that oh, was yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, but we, by the time I got to BC, they had moved into the, the Fleet Center at the time, the the, the new Garden. Uh, but it was I mean that that's such for a local kid to be a part of that it, it, that was a dream come true for me. Unfortunately, we didn't win, but um, it's it's always it's it's always amazing and and being part of it as a broadcaster now you see excitement it's you know, it's it's a reunion for anybody that went to any of the four schools and i think that the biggest thing that i've seen is you know that covid year where it got canceled you know the coming back from it the crowd seemed to be re-energized because there was something that was taken away from the hockey fans of boston for one year so right. it's good to see the crowds come back and i think you know everybody for the longest time it was two it was a two-team tournament it was either bc or bu and right. northeast the last three, I think, the last four. Yeah, I think Harvard always has a good team now, so there is more, um, you know, uh, competition. They can go to anybody anytime, but it's certainly just like winning a hockey game. Like when you have that confidence, when you've won a bean pot, the next one seems to be easier. And I think that's uh, for a young team like Boston College. I think this will be a, an interesting year when it comes to the bean pot because you have a lot of hungry kids. Well, the radio broadcasting fraternity uh, in Hockey East is a special one, and uh, you work with a guy who's been doing it for a long, long time, John Rich. I admire you guys so much, and, uh, you know, so it, it's, it's got to be fun to, to work with a pro like him, and I, I know he feels similar. Uh, well, he, he'd be lying to you if he said he's working with a pro. Um, but uh. I will tell you this, John. My, uh, I've been doing it for 10 years. I think the first two years, John wasn't doing it. But he had done it prior, and then – just by happenstance, he came back and he's done it. Him and I have been together for eight years now. Yeah, he is by far in the, you know everybody respected. He is by far the best play-by-play guy that I've I've heard. You know, like I, he's I think he's suited for something better than what we're doing. Uh, but I'm very very fortunate to work with a professional like John Rich. He's um, at times I'm almost embarrassed uh, for what I'm talking about and what he's talking about because he's a professional, but. Um, He's 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 one of the best. Well, Andy, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you Thursday night. Uh, we unfortunately I won't be down there Saturday uh, for the return matchup at Chestnut Hill. But it's always great seeing you and John, and, and we're expecting a, a great hockey game on Thursday night. I want to thank you so much for taking some time to be with us, and and you're a good friend, and you're always welcome on this podcast. Well, John, I know you do a great job at Merrimack, and, and uh, I really appreciate you talking to me. A lot of people don't talk to me anymore. <laughs> well, I always will, brother. That's for sure. <laughs> Andy, thanks so much. We'll see you Thursday night. All right, buddy. All yeah. right. Uh, so that's uh, our talk today was with Andy Powers, the radio color commentator for Boston College men's hockey, and we invite you to stay with us. We will have another episode of the podcast coming up next week. So thanks again, and you've been listening to Airing It Out, Files from Leahy's Broadcast Booth.
Mitochondrial disease is a rare multi-symptom disease characterized by breakdowns in the mitochondria, which are specialized compartments that are present in every cell of the body except red blood cells and are responsible for creating more than 90% of the energy needed by the body to sustain life and support growth. A disease most commonly associated with children, currently there is no cure, just management of symptoms. Hugs for Mito Inc. is mitochondrial disease, rare disease advocacy, awareness, fundraising for research trials, and hopefully a cure. To learn more, please visit hugsformito.org.